Last week, we began a series of what I'm calling sabbatical sermons, sermons based on uh, some of the things, maybe all of the things, maybe big picture things that God impressed upon me during uh, the past three months of my sabbatical. And at the heart of those impressions was my need, and I think that extends to us, for transformation, metamorphosis, to become the people who God created us to be. God's Word teaches that we, as, as Christians right now, are to be experiencing a positive change, transformation, growth in our lives. We are being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what we saw in the main verse we looked at last week, 2 Corinthians 3.18. The Apostle Paul, drawing from what, from what we was read here this morning from Exodus, writes to the church, and we all with unveiled faces, the barrier between us and God has been removed, beholding the glory of the Lord, being able to gaze upon the Lord and see Him for who He is are being transformed into the same image, the image of God, the image of Christ, from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Transformation comes gradually, and it comes from the Lord, from the Spirit, who's at work within our lives. Now today, we're going to continue to look at at this transformation that the Spirit works within our lives. We're going to look deeper at what it means to experience transformation by experiencing God. Experiencing transformation by beholding God's glory. Because beholding God's glory, this is what I've come to see, is, is really synonymous with experiencing God. With having an understanding, a deep sense of God's presence in your life. Because God's glory is everything about Him. His nature, His attributes, His mighty deeds, who He is, and what He's done. And and it's when we behold, when we gaze upon Him, that we experience Him. And it's when we experience Him, when who He is becomes real to us. When we take the truth of His holiness, and His righteousness, and His justice, and His love, and His mercy and His grace into our minds, when we take those truths in, into our minds and into our hearts, then and only then does does the transformation of our hearts and minds and our lives take place. Now, if you remember uh, uh, last week, I said that this week we'd focus specifically on how to behold the glory of the Lord we saw the, the prime, last week we talked about this, the primary place that we behold, that we gaze upon God's glory is in His Word. And so the, the plan was to focus on these practical aspects of how we behold God's glory, how we see who God is and experience God through prayer and meditation on His Word. But as I began to preparing the message... In fact, as I got really far into preparing the message, I realized that, that we needed to spend a little more time getting ready. Uh, maybe some of you are ready, but I don't think we're ready. All of us are ready 
uh, to, to, to move into meditation and prayer. I realized I hadn't adequately prepared us. You see, meditation and prayer are more than uh, concepts to grasp. They're actual activities that we have to do, that we have to set aside time for. We must be disciplined to do. To do them, the Bible commands, to do them as the Bible commands, we, we, we necessarily must forego things. Other things have to be taken away. Time is a limited resource. We might have to watch less TV, heaven forbid, or spend less time, whatever screen device, your phone, your iPad, your whatever you do on those things. We might have not be able to, to go out and go to the places and do the things that we feel we want to do. We might have to use some self-control instead of self-indulgence. And as I was preparing to call us to, to the sacrifice of our time in other pursuits and to spend time instead of God's Word and prayer, I realized that, that we need more preparation. We need more motivation. We need more inspiration. Because meditation on God's Word and spending time in prayer over that meditation are called spiritual disciplines for a reason. They take discipline. They can be difficult at times. Sometimes it's hard to to read our Bibles and pray. Sometimes the flesh rebels and it yearns, it longs for anything but sitting down and opening the Word of God. And even when we do sit down and open the Word of God, sometimes we find it so difficult to concentrate. We find ourselves, okay, can I get through this? Dozing off. And I think that's partially because we do, well, it's partially because we don't sleep enough and because we're doing all those other things we talked about. We're not even preparing ourselves to spend time with God. But I think partially it's also because we don't understand why we're reading and praying. We don't understand what we're doing. We come to God's Word to get some information, some facts, to learn some things, to know what the Bible says about this or that or the other thing. And we go to prayer to usually to give God our lists of requests. This is what I need to, you to do for me today, God. But God offers us uh, so much more. I want us to see the more that he offers. So, so, so I want us to spend today seeking to reinforce what we talked about last week. There'll be some repetition here. I was meeting with Chad, and he, he said uh, that a church he went to, I won't name it, but it's a good church. Christine and I actually visited it, and it was, it was good. He said, people were wondering, is the pastor preaching the same message every week? They kept going, they kept going, and, and, and that re- reflected on me uh, a time when I was in some meeting. This is, you know, a while ago with Phil Busby, our pastor. And uh, somebody asked him, Phil, it seems like you preach the same thing every week. And he said, well, when we get it, I'll move on. And so, so that's a little bit how I feel. So there'll be some repetition, some reinforcement. I want to use this time to hopefully further motivate us in such a way that, that we're prepared and excited. I want to, and I don't know if I can do that. I'm not the most exciting guy. My wife does, thinks I am, but anyway. 
that we'll be excited about beholding God's glory through the spiritual disciplines of prayer and meditation. Woo, woo hoo. All right. I want to help us come to God's word and into God's presence with great expectation. There's something here for me. There's something that God has for me here today. Looking forward to seeing his glory, to experiencing him, to being transformed by him, to experience God through what he's revealed about himself in his word, to take that experience to heart and to ponder it, to pray about it, to discern what God is saying to to me, to us through it, and to allow the Holy Spirit to bring Christ-like transformation to our minds and into our hearts. That's the goal, to experience God and be transformed by that experience. And when we clearly see and understand, I hope that that's the goal. The goal is not to give God your list. The goal is not for you to learn some facts, both of which are fine and dandy. And we'll talk about, you know, God wants your supplication. He wants you to know what's in the Bible. But that's not the goal. That's a a piece, a process on the way. The goal is to experience God and experience transformation. And when we clearly see and understand that that's our goal, then I believe we'll be motivated to do what it takes, to be relentless with our time with God. That's first. Everything else comes second. We'll be motivated to spend the time and the effort in practical things, in the practical things of prayer, of meditation on God's Word. That's what, that's what I had the uh, awesome... You know, I, I wasn't experiencing that before my sabbatical because I was filling my life with all kinds of other things, with all kinds of, and I had this extra time. And so in this extra time, I started off, okay, this is committed to spending time in your word, to spending time in prayer, to spending time uh, hearing from others. I read a book on prayer by Tim Keller. I don't know if I mentioned that or not. But in those things began to speak to me. Specifically, God's Word. I just want a little example. I'm reading Psalm 86, and David begins Psalm 86. Incline your ear, hear me, O Lord, for I am poor and needy. And I said, oh my gosh, that's I'm poor and needy. You know, and I sat there, and then I, I read on, and it talks about God's bigness, and, and David speaking of himself, and I took it to heart, poor and neediness, and it said, oh my gosh, and God is there for me as a poor and needy individual. And, and it just changed me. It changed the way I view prayer. What's the purpose of prayer? To come to him in my poor and needy state, to hear for him, to allow him to bring transformation. So let's, so let's look deeper into beholding God's glory, experiencing God in such a way that we're transformed into the image of Christ. You know, I, I, I like Tom's story. It, sh- it, it, went to the, it went to the end, you know. What, and then what do we do? We're not going to get to that today. We're just talking about what is God going to do in our hearts? And, and I assure you that will pr- produce actions. We're not going to talk about the actions. That will come, come later. We're talking just about seeing God and then he's going to change us. I want to begin by looking at that passage from Exodus. I want us to see a shadow, a picture of a temporary physical transformation. Would you pray with me as we turn to this? Lord God, 
I just pray you'd be with us. I pray you would speak through your word. Or we'll be looking at different passages. We'll be thinking about this idea of transformation, of you bringing transformation into our lives, of us beholding your glory. Lord, I pray that, that those things would, would touch us. I pray that those things, as your word speaks, Lord, that we would even here in this place behold your glory and begin to experience transformation. Take away anything that is of me and bring only what is of you. In Christ's name, amen. In our passage last week, 2 Corinthians three twelve through 18, that was the main thing we looked at. We read verse 18 earlier. Paul's speaking to the church about how their relationship with God is, is different from Israel's, right? We know that. He's commenting on, uh, on examples, events that are recorded in Exodus chapters 33 and 34 that were read to us this morning. And, and in these verses, in Exodus, we have this physical picture, I believe, of a spiritual reality. Moses pleaded with God, God, uh, please show me your glory. Remember, God's glory is everything he does. It's, it's who he is. Moses rightly wanted to see the fullness of God, the fullness of his nature, of his attributes. He wanted to fully experience God. Let me just pause here for a moment. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? If it's not, that's where you need to begin. That's where you need to, God, I confess my sin of not wanting to see your glory, of not wanting to be transformed. Help me to change. Transform me right there. Give me that desire to come to you. But if that's what you want, is that how you approach God? Is that how you come to his word? Is that how you come to prayer? Pleading to see him, to see his fullness, to see his glory. Pleading to know more and more of him. Pleading to experience and be transformed by him. That's what Moses was asking for. Show me your glory. But for Moses, it couldn't, it couldn't fully happen. God said, you can't see my face for, for, for man shall not see me and live. You can't fully experience me because if you do, if you try, if I expose everything about myself to you, you're dead, man. It's over. God's glory is so powerful, so bright, so radiant, so holy, and so pure that we in our sinful state cannot see it in full. In our flesh, we cannot see the fullness of God's glory. We cannot fully experience God or we'll die. However, God in his mercy gives Moses a glimpse, a glimpse of his back, a glimpse of his glorious nature, a limited partial experience, if you will. And even that limited partial experience uh, causes a temporary physical transformation. It physically changes Moses' face, his skin. It causes his skin to shine in a physical limited way. Moses beheld and received the glory of God. He experienced God, and the experience changed him. But for Moses, the transformation was only temporary. The shine didn't last. The shine kept coming off. It faded over time, and so Moses put a veil over his face. Apparently, this happened continually. Every time he went into the Lord, he'd remove the veil, 
shine would come on and, and then he'd go out from God and it would fade away. Why? Well, well, Exodus doesn't tell us. I mean, why did he put the veil on? That was the question. So we know why he's coming in and beholding the glory of God and he's shining. But then he goes out, face is shining, speaks to the people. Then he puts the, the uh, veil on. So it doesn't say why. But I think uh, it says why in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3, 12, 13. Uh, Paul, again, is contrasting, we're different now than Moses. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We, I think he's saying we don't have to, no veils, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Well, that's a, a little weird. This gives uh, really the most likely reason why Moses covered his face. That is, so that the Israelites wouldn't see that his uh, transformation was only temporary. The glory he'd received from God gradually was fading away. And, and that fading of the glory points to the, uh, really the temporary nature of the old covenant. Of this covenant that's being established even, even in this process. The old covenant was being brought to an end even as it began. The old covenant would not last. It wasn't sufficient. Not because the, the covenant was lacking, but because Israel and, and really all of human, humanity is lacking. Because of our sins, the old covenant could not bring redemption. It couldn't bring lasting transformation. When we saw this, we, we saw this in Romans. Romans chapter 8, verse 3. Paul writes, For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. The law, the, the old, this is the theology we're talking about. The law, the old covenant, it, it failed, if you will. Not because there was a problem with it, it was God-given. But because there was a problem with the people of the covenant and people in general. There's a problem with our flesh. We cannot keep the covenant. Therefore, the old covenant was brought to an end, and it was replaced by the quiz time. I give you the easiest questions. The new covenant, old, new, good job. By God sending his son in the likeness, this is the new covenant, in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus was sent, and Jesus died for sin, to condemn sin, to defeat sin in the flesh. On the cross, by His death and by His resurrection, Jesus Christ defeated sin in our flesh. In the flesh of those who put their trust in Him. And because of that, we are new creatures in Christ, Paul says elsewhere in 2 Corinthians. We're transformed in a, a totally different way than Moses experienced. Because we have a totally different relationship because of the new covenant in Christ. We have a totally different relationship. We have a totally different experience of God. In Moses, Israel saw the physical effects of beholding even a limited, partial part of God's glory. They had one man who partially beheld God's glory, resulting in this temporary physical transformation. But now, this, this, this better excites you. I'm sorry, I'm not, you know 
There's some theology here, but it's exciting. But now we all who are God's children can experience him because of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. We can behold his glory in a new way, resulting not in temporary physical transformation, but in a permanent spiritual transformation. That's what you get. 2 Corinthians 3, in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul, uh, using this uh, temporary transformation shown in Exodus, is teaching that not only did Moses put a veil over his face so Israel couldn't see the glory fade, but because of sin, Israel, and really all who haven't trusted in Christ, have a veil, a barrier between them and God. But the gospel of Jesus Christ changes that. Starting in verse 15. 2 Corinthians 3, Paul writes, Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over there, Israel's hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. We talked about that last week. I won't dwell on it here. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We're in a different place than Moses and Israel. To physically see, to see God's glory... Moses had to be placed in the, in the cleft of a rock. Picture just two rocks together and he's stuck in between. So he only has this very limited uh, view. And then God puts his hand over his face as God comes this way. And then as God turns around, he removes his... And so he's got this limited view of the back of a... I don't know what all that means, by the way. I don't know what... I mean, this is just this lie. I don't know what it, what it looks like. God has chosen not to reveal himself in that way. But we with unveiled faces, no barrier can behold the glory of the Lord, which results in our transformation. And we behold the glory not in a physical way, but in a spiritual way. Not the temporary physical shining of our skin. That's not the transformation that God is bringing but the permanent spiritual shining of our heart. When we behold the light of God's glory, our hearts are transformed. That's what Paul says just a few verses later. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When the light of the knowledge of God in the face of Jesus Christ shines in our hearts, we are permanently transformed. Now, last week I summarized this uh, four-step process of transformation, if you remember. We, first, we turn to the Lord. Second, the Lord removes our veil. The barrier between us and God is gone. And, and because the barrier is removed, we can, we behold the glory of the Lord. Third and fourth, the Lord In this life, degree by degree, from one degree of glory to another, transforms us into the image of Christ. I want us to see that this fourth step is gradual in nature, because the third step is gradual in nature. Even though our veil has been removed, that doesn't mean uh, we all at once behold the full glory of God. Uh, I'm not sure, but I think even if it I think we would die like Moses. 
But with unveiled faces, we enter into this process of permanent spiritual transformation. We, we called it also sanctification, this process of being transformed into the image of Christ. As we gradually, from one degree of glory to another, behold the glory of God. As we gradually experience God through His Word and through prayer, we're gradually transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Step four in the process. And we need to be patient in this process. We need to be patient with ourselves, and we need to be patient with others. Because our transformation is not instantaneous. Just yesterday, uh, Christina, my wife, and I were discussing a problem in our marriage. Oh, you say, you, after 33 years, pastor, oh, great one, have problems in your marriage? Oh, yes. And in the discussion, I said to my wonderful wife these most encouraging words. I said, you'll never change. Yes, I did. I said those words. And she responded, uh, then why bother trying? If we feel like our efforts to change are having no effect, then our response can be to, why bother trying? What's the point? But you see, when I said those words, uh, you'll never change, I knew three things right away. First, I'd crushed my wife. Second, I was an idiot. And third, the words weren't true, which I immediately told her. I, I got hope. Why did you say that, you idiot? The reality is she's changed a lot. She is totally awesome, uh, way better than the woman I married, if you understand what I mean by that. She's the same woman, but just so we're clear. She, like me and you, uh, just isn't perfect yet. She's not. I'm not. You're not. She, like me and you, is in process. We're in a a process. And, And we need to not be discouraged when we haven't reached perfection yet. We need to be encouraged by all that God has done in our lives thus far. How far he's he's brought us, right? Apparently he hasn't brought me that far because I'm saying stupid things to my wife still. But he's working on me. And we need to look forward to, to what he will continue to do as we continue to behold his glory. As we continue to experience him through his word and through prayer. Knowing that one day, we will be perfect. One day. Last week, after service, I was talking to some. I think it was Julia Murray. Yeah, Julia, we were talking. And I realized there were two more steps. Uh, I don't know what we were talking about. Anyway. Two more steps in this transfer. It's not a four-step process. It's a six-step process. These two final steps reinforce the permanent and complete nature of the spiritual transformation that we're undergoing. In this life, we gradually behold God's glory. As we experience God, we're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. But one day, our transformation will be complete. In 1 John 3, verse 2, Paul doesn't talk about these two final steps, so we're going to go over and let John tell us about them. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. So, uh, this side note, 
John says, I don't know what's really going to happen. And he's spending a lot of time thinking about uh, the future and what everything's going to be like may not be the best use of your time. Okay, back. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So the, the final two steps of our transformation are five. We're, we fully behold the glory of the Lord. We get it all. He reveals everything to us, apparently. All of His glory. We shall see Him as He is. And six, the Lord fully transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. That seeing the full glory transforms us. And John says these final steps will occur when He appears which usually is understood to mean when Christ returns or upon our death, sometime after death. So we can behold his glory and not die because we're already dead. That's helpful. Now let me ask you this. Think about this. Are you looking forward to experiencing his appearing, to Christ's return, or even... You know, you don't have to look, be looking forward to dying, but to the after the death of, of meeting Christ. Are you looking forward to that? Are you looking forward to be fully beholding the glory of the Lord and, and being fully transformed in the image of Christ to no longer be subject to sin? No longer subject to sin. He's, he's changed you. He's, he's removed the flesh. He's given you a new glorious body. John says, no, Peter says that. To not just be declared righteous, but to be fully and completely righteous. Right now, we're just declared righteous. We know that because we say stupid things to our wives and our husbands, and we do stupid things, and we know we're not fully righteous. But one day, we will be fully righteous. To be fully and completely in eternal, unending relationship with God, about which David writes in Psalm 16, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Are you truly looking forward to that day? I am. I I hope you are. But does looking forward to your permanent, final, future transformation into the image of Christ, does that motivate you to right now engage in your present transformation? I pray it does. And to help us along the way, I want to issue a final thing. A call to current transformation, to be where you are right now. I want us to know that even though we are promised this future, final, uh, full transformation, God doesn't just want us to sit on our hands and wait for that day to come. Instead, He commands us, He demands of us to engage in the process He's given us right now. The current process of transformation, of sanctification. And when God commands something, we need to know this. When God commands something, it's always, 100%, every time, for your good. It's the best thing for you. Not engaging in transformation is stupid. Because it's not the best thing for you. God tells us what the best thing is for us. I want us to see there's, there's great joy and satisfaction to be found in the transformation God offers this side of heaven right now. I want us to understand that in Christ, we, we gradually behold His glory. As we gradually experience God right now, we can gradually experience consistent victory over sin. We won't be perfect, but we grow. We sin 
We don't become sinless, but we sin less. We can grow in our righteousness now. We can become more loving and caring. We can become more gentle and kind. We can grow in our intimacy with God right now. We can experience the joy and the pleasure in Him right now. But for that to happen... Now, in this life, we have to engage in this transformation process that God's provided for us. We must now behold His glory. We must experience God now. And again, where do we behold His glory? Paul writes, 2 Corinthians 4.4, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We, unlike unbelievers who've been blinded by the God of this age, at least currently, maybe we can start praying that the blinders be removed and they can see the glory as well. We who've uh, turned to the Lord, who've put our trust in the Lord, we who have unveiled faces, behold the glory of God, the glory of Christ, and, and where is that glory found? It's found in the gospel. We behold the glory of God in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that person and work is described in the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, we can behold who God is and what He's done, what He continues to do in our lives to redeem and reconcile us, to, to transform His children through Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. This is the full gospel, if you will. The good news of Jesus Christ. Our view of the gospel can sometimes be very limited, and this can cause us trouble. We think the good news uh, only refers to our salvation from hell and our going to heaven. And that's where uh, we focus our attention. At the beginning and the end. The gospel is certainly contained. There's gospel in the Roman road and the four spiritual laws. These, these ways to be saved. But that is not the entirety of the gospel. That's maybe the beginning. A, a little summary. Now don't get me wrong. The gospel, the Bible certainly has a lot to say about salvation. Which comes by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And the Bible has some things to say about heaven. About what's to come as well. But the vast majority, get this, the vast majority of Scripture is dedicated to what becomes between salvation and heaven. The vast majority of the Bible is designed to help God's children see and experience relationship with Him right now. To walk with Him. To know Him. To behold His glory and be transformed by Him in this life. But we tend to focus only on the beginning and end and forget about the now, the middle. And that's tragic. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of God, now if you will, recognizes this. He writes, everything is made to center upon the initial act of accepting Christ. A term incidentally which is not found in the Bible. That's Tozer's parentheses, not mine. And we're not expected thereafter to crave any further revelation of God to our souls. We have been snared in the coils of spurious logic, which insists that if we have found Him, we need no more seek Him. We need to understand that salvation, uh, uh, accepting Christ, receiving Christ, however you want to put it, is just the beginning of the Christian life. 
When, we, when we're saved, when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, this is the introduction to God. Our veil, our barrier is removed so that we can spend the rest of our life in the pursuit of Him, in seeking Him, in seeking to know Him and experience Him, beholding His glory and being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what this life is for. We need to understand that the gospel is not only that Christ died that our sins might be forgiven. He died that our sins might be defeated. In this life. As we're transformed into His image. Yes, Jesus came to save sinners. Amen. Yes, Jesus came to give eternal life. Praise the Lord. But John says Jesus also came to destroy sin. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work, he says. The work of the devil is to blind the eyes to the truth of the gospel that that you might remain in your sin. Jesus came to defeat sin and Satan. Not just to... So we could go to heaven, but, but that we could live the abundant life He has for us here and now. Jesus said in John 10, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now that life will certainly reach its full abundance when we see Him as He is. But the abundant life Christ offers starts when you trust in Him. When you're adopted into the family of God. When you become a child of God. The abundant life is for the now. We're so prone to focus on the past or the future, but by doing that, we ignore the work of transformation that God desires to do in our lives right now, in the present. We get saved, we pray a prayer, we believe we're going to heaven when we die, and we're content to wait to experience God, to behold His glory, to be transformed until some future date, until then. Our problem is, We don't want to do the work required. There's work required to engage in this spiritual transformation. We're unwilling to avail ourselves to the means of transformation that God has given, freely given us. We say we want to be like Christ, but we're content to remain as we are. I'm too old to change, we say. We say we want the abundant life Jesus promised. But are we willing to do what it takes to receive that life? Sometimes it seems we don't really want to experience victory over sin now. Oh, I can, I can wait. Let me just stay, be who I am right now. We don't really care about intimate relationship with God now. We're too involved with the pleasures of this world to seek our joy and our pleasure and our satisfaction and our purpose in Him now. We're just not willing to put the effort in to experience God, to experience transformation. We're not willing to give up the things of this world to spend the time and effort needed to experience what God has for us. We're like an out of shape, overweight guy. Don't look at me, I've lost 15 pounds, okay. Who's freely given... Uh, a gym membership, uh, diet books, a uh, healthy food delivery service, a chef to make the food for him, a personal trainer, and everything else he needs to get into physical shape. But instead of using what he's given, he sits on the couch eating fast food and watching, binge watching Netflix. Something. 
content to wait for some magic pill that will get him in shape. That's what so many Christians do, right? We're Christian couch potatoes. But we need to get off the couch and get in the game. Because once we trust in the Lord, we're we're given everything we need to get into spiritual shape. Our veil is removed. We're given the Word of God. We're given the Spirit of God. Oh my God, if you will. We're given the Holy Spirit of God. We're given direct access to God through prayer. We're given the church of God where we can hear God's Word, where we can pray together, where we can be encouraged by one another in this transformation process. But we don't use what we've been given. We stay on the couch. We don't use it enough anyway. Instead, we're content to just, oh, just be who I am. I'm good. Waiting for the day that Christ appears and completely transforms us. We need to understand that just because Jesus takes us as we are when he does, he doesn't want to leave us that way. He loves us too much to leave us that way. Sorry, I'm editing. Skipped a whole page there. Maybe it'll be next week. Not engaging in the transformation process that God freely gives us means two things. Well, maybe it means three things. One, it may mean you have never really even turned to the Lord in the first place. If you have no desire to be changed, then maybe you're just, I'm happy going to church and being religious and people thinking I'm a good guy and okay. Or, you're just living in disobedience to God. You know, maybe you have turned to the Lord, but you're, you're in disobedience. You're in sin. You're not willing to put in the effort. And, you know, I'll see him in heaven and I'm good with that. Well, I don't know, I don't know what that means theologically. I don't know. Maybe, maybe you will. I don't know. But let me say this. This is what I do know. I know that you're missing out. If you've turned to the Lord, if you've trusted in Christ, and you're not taking the time, the effort, making the effort to engage in the transformation that He offers you, you are missing out. And I know that because I've missed out before. There are times I've missed out. Because just like there are great benefits uh, to being in physical shape, to, to engaging in physical transformation, being uh, beginning to look and feel better, having more energy. There are much greater benefits to being in the spiritual transformation process. I'm not saying there are, there's going to be a, a, an eternity of benefits to being fully like Christ, but there are benefits right now to getting in spiritual shape, if you will, overcoming sin, experiencing relationship with God, experiencing actual joy in your life, actual purpose and meaning and satisfaction and true lasting pleasure that begins in this life, pleasure in knowing God, knowing that what is good and acceptable and perfect That's what I skipped, Romans 12. So now I'm referring to it, so you don't know why I'm referring to it. But anyway, 
when our minds are renewed and transformed, we experience this good and acceptable and perfect will of God in our lives. And the key to all this, almost finished, to all these benefits, the thing we have to do is we don't have to do the transformation part in case you forget, in case I didn't mention that. We have to behold the glory of the Lord. We have to experience God. It's when we behold, it's when we gaze on the glory of the Lord, found in His Word, processed through prayer. When we experience God, He transforms our hearts and minds. He renews our minds and transforms us. And so I pray, and I will continue to pray this week, that we're now sufficiently motivated. We've we got a glimpse, haven't we, of, of, of uh, what's offered when we engage in this transformation process. And I pray we're sufficiently motivated and God will sufficiently continue to motivate us as we come next week to focus on the work. I say next week, I hope it's next week. I hope something else doesn't happen in my brain this week to, to change that. As we focus on the work of prayer, the work of meditation, of which, it, let me just say this so we're clear. It starts out work, sometimes, but, but once you get into it, it becomes a joy as well. The prayer, the meditation, meeting God, behold, I mean, beholding His glory. When, when, when the Word comes at you and you see, oh my gosh, this is who God is. This is how He feels about me. Wow. We come ready to do what it takes to become more like Jesus Christ. That's my prayer for us. So would you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your amazing. You didn't just save us and now we have to fend for ourselves during this life. You saved us. You gave us your spirit. You give us your word. You give us prayer. You give us a church. You give us everything we need to grow, to change, to be transformed, uh, which you command us to be for our good, Lord. Lord, help us to see that, that it's for our good that you desire what's best for us, that you love us with a a love we can't even comprehend, Lord. And so we would begin this week even to obey you, to seek you out, to seek to behold your glory in your word, to seek to come to you in prayer and, and just talk about what's going on in our lives, that you might transform us into the image of your son. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Stand with us.